Welcome back to Louisville Reads. I'm your host, Dave Campbell, here on your community radio station, 106.5 FM, WFMPLP, Louisville. Finishing up our summer reading this episode, reviewing the very prescient but also very hilarious winner of the 2022 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, The Nate and Yahoos by Joshua Cohen. Stay tuned. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Greetings to all Democracy Now! listeners on Pacifica Affiliate Forward Radio 106.5 FM, WFMPLP in Louisville, Kentucky. This grassroots community radio station relies on volunteer power and your financial support to continue broadcasting the progressive, national, and homegrown local programming you've come to expect from Forward Radio. At a time when our public airwaves are being gobbled up by corporate interests, here's an open mic dedicated to local voices, civic engagement, and community empowerment. Please go to forwardradio.org and pledge your generous support today. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Louisville Reads, finishing up our summer reading with the charmingly funny but also deeply intelligent novel The Nate and Yahoos by Jewish American writer Joshua Cohen, published in 2021 and winner of the 2022 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Looking forward to this episode today, but also looking forward to getting back to school, so to speak, as fall sets in, with world-class nonfiction on the schedule, starting with Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City, by New York Times journalist Andrea Elliott in August, Cuba, an American History, by Dr. Ada Farrar for National Hispanic Heritage Month in September, Chasing Me to My Grave, an artist's memoir of the Jim Crow South, by late African-American artist Winfred Rembert in October, and Covered with Night, a story of murder and indigenous justice in early America by New York University professor Nicole Eustace for Native American Heritage Month in November. All winners of the 2022 Pulitzer Prizes for nonfiction, biography, and history, respectively. We'll then look forward to some annual holiday favorites in James Fenimore Cooper and Charles Dickens to close out the calendar year and map out the 2023 season of Louisville Reads. It's hard to believe the year is more than half over. Speaking of the rest of the year and doing our best to make the absolute most out of it, a friendly reminder that if you enjoy the programming you hear on Louisville Reads or any of the shows you hear on Forward Radio, 106.5 FM, WFMPLP, Louisville, you can make a tax-deductible monetary donation at any time. Please visit Forward Radio forward slash donate to support the cause and make community radio a part of your 2022 or 2023 financial plan. Also visit us on Facebook at forward slash Lou Reads, that's L-O-U Reads FM. Visit us on Twitter at forward slash Lou Reads FM. Visit us on Instagram at forward slash Lou Reads FM. Follow our YouTube and SoundCloud links to archived episodes for both Louisville Reads and the former Read and Succeed. And please leave your thoughts and comments. We would love to hear from you. This is Louisville Reads. I'm Dave Campbell. The interview you are about to hear is an August 2021 conversation between Jewish-American writer Joshua Cohen and Mr. Arya Cohen-Wade, host of the Culturally Determined podcast, and also himself a Jewish-American, about Mr. Cohen's novel, The Nate Yahoos, published in 2021 and later the winner of the 2022 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Our special thanks to Mr. Cohen-Wade for giving us permission to broadcast this content, 
And to learn more about him, please visit him on Twitter at, at username at A-R-Y-E-H-C-W. And also check out all the great content at Non-Zero's YouTube channel at forward slash C forward slash Non-Zero. The book, like the interview itself, like the interviewer and interviewee themselves, is Jewish American par excellence, full of distinctive wit and humor and banter, but also full of an intellectual curiosity and prowess that make reflecting on and discussing the existential complexities of a distinct group of people, self-identified almost at the outset of human history, a subject for which entire academic careers focus on maybe one segment, seem utterly routine and natural. The main theme of the text, per this reviewer at least, seems to be just that, history, or more specifically, Jewish-American history, or more specifically still, the 21st century Jewish-American relationship with history. Set in the early 1950s and almost playfully employing the full creative portfolio of modern Jewish-American literature, from Yiddish theater and Saul Bellow to Slapstick and Philip Roth, Cohen tells the story of Dr. Reuben Blum fictional Jewish-American professor of economic history at the fictional Corbin College in fictional Corbindale, New York, a veiled homage to Mr. Cohen's literary mentor and friend, the late Jewish-American literary critic Harold Bloom at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, and the fictional tale of Professor Blum hiring the very non-fictional Israeli professor of medieval history, Dr. Benzian Netanyahu, father of former and longest-serving and non-fictional Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. While the arrival of the Netanyahus, including the young Benjamin, to campus and the sitcom-like collisions between them and the Blums are fictional and deliciously funny, the historical and cultural subtext the two families represent and the dialogues that occur or do not occur between them are definitely not fiction and were and still are quite serious. The modern state of Israel has been founded in real history only a few years earlier, simultaneously justifying and fulfilling Dr. Netanyahu's deeply political interpretation of Jewish history since at least the Spanish Inquisition as one of non-assimilation and uncompromising racial identity and self-defense, most closely associated with revisionist Zionism. Dr. Blum and his family, on the other hand, represent a cultural and political conversation in the opposite direction, slowly assimilating into a then-modern and now postmodern liberal American culture where Jew slowly begins to mean little more than whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah in December. Arab-Israeli relations on the other side of the world aside, Cohen's The Netanyahu's captures in completely understandable prose, even to a non-Jew such as myself, the conflicts that Jewish culture writ large, Jewish-American culture in particular, manages within themselves and how any definition of what it means to be and live a definitively Jewish life within history on the outside begins with an individual self-definition of what it means to be and live a definitively Jewish life on the inside. And sometimes those self-definitions set up walls between Jews themselves that are as intractable as anything any Netanyahu erected on the West Bank. This is Louisville Reads. I'm Dave Campbell. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined on Blogging Heads TV. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade. And my guest today is Joshua Cohen. Uh, Joshua, could you please introduce yourself? I'm Joshua Cohen. I'm a writer, uh, um, mostly a novelist. Also, write some nonfiction. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's good enough. But the the uh, the, the main occasion for your appearance is you have a novel, a new novel that came out recently. The title is The Netanyahu's, an account of a minor and ultimately even negligible episode in the history of a very famous family. That is and true. So thank you for coming on to talk about it. And I, I feel like in some ways this novel is like aimed squarely at my like personal demographic uh, for reasons we'll maybe get into. But what is, um, 
what is uh, sort of the elevator pitch uh, <laughs> summary of, of this novel? The, the, what is an elevator pitch of this thing? I, you know, that's a bad elevator, man. That's a, that's not an elevator. You, you know, it's an ele- that's an elevator stuck between floors or plummeting. Uh, uh, it's, it's essentially um, the story of, uh, of Benzio Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu's father, who uh, uh, for various reasons we can, you know, get into or not was, was kind of persona non grata in, 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 um, in Palestine, in, in pre-state Israel um, and uh, couldn't get a job there um, at the, the nascent Hebrew university and, um, and kind of comes to the States and uh, peddles himself around the adjunct circuit. He's a professor of, of history. Um, he's a historian that specializes in, the medieval period and specifically in the inquisition see this elevator ride is already getting very long yeah and, but the, uh, and, the other and, passengers and, have uh, have uh, yeah yeah they've all escaped. associated so uh uh and 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 he ends up applying for a job at at this uh, college fictional college called corbin college where a professor of u.s economic history of taxation studies named reuben blum uh is asked to kind of chaperone him escort him around and uh, uh, the real reason he's asked to do that is because, uh, uh, you know, Benzio Netanyahu is one of his own, uh, meaning that he's uh, Ruben Blum is a Jew. He is the only Jew on the faculty. This is set in the winter of 1959-1960, and Benzio Netanyahu shows up with his wife and his three kids in tow, Yoni, uh, Bibi, and uh, Ido, and his wife, Tzila, and uh, they proceed to kind of trash the place. <laughs> um. Parts of so this is this novel is told from the perspective largely of a fictional character Ruby Blum, but the events are based on things that actually happened. And Benzion or Benzion, I mean, do people in America call him Benzion, um, or did they always say Benzion? I don't know. I mean, people call him everything. I don't know. They also call Ruben Blum Bloom. So, uh, so I, you know, I say, I say Benzio Netanyahu, but, um, uh, and I so, say- So the literal translation of that would be son of Zion. Um, and yes. that was the, the, that was Bibi Netanyahu's father. And mm-hmm. he, uh, was a historian of medieval, medieval Iberia. And correct me if I'm saying anything that's incorrect. And he was very long lived and lived to be like a hundred or a hundred to one. Um, and yeah, he had these, he had three sons, uh, one of whom later became- uh, prime Minister of Israel and was the longest serving Prime Minister in Israeli history and only recently was, you know, uh, I guess well, you're right is he was still Prime Minister and was just dislodged fairly recently. I, I think that the book came out the uh, the week after um, uh, the end of, uh, at least the end for now of of Bibi's reign. Yeah, and his older brother Yoni, uh, Yoni Netanyahu was the, the, the hero of, um, of Antebi. He um, was the, the single um, casualty on the Israeli side, a, a commando, when they went to um, free the hostages of the Air France flight that was hijacked and brought to um, uh, Uganda. And uh, and so he became, this happened in 1976, so his older brother sort of became this, this you know, national hero, this martyr, this kind of symbol of Israeli sacrifice and daring, their willingness to kind of go anywhere and do anything um, to save their own. And uh, and then the third son, um, Ido, who um, radiologist and a playwright, used to lived in upstate New York for a while. Okay, and the um, so the 
novel is set in Corbin, Corbin College in Corbindale, New York, which mm-hmm. seems to bear some resemblance to Ithaca, New York, and Cornell University. Though it's more it seems to be more westerly in Western New York than, than yeah, it's Ithaca. more you know Ch- Chautauqua County. I mean, I have to say that you know I I love the 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 all of these these the, not all of these it's flattering but these reviews that that were you know this could not have happened at Cornell in this year and this year and you know and I. I, I never said it happened at Cornell. I never said <laughs> Corbin. In, in fact, it never, you know, you never said it really happened at all because it's a novel. And, uh, right. And, 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 well, you know, I, I just, I, I, uh, um, I didn't want to write uh, uh, any specific place. And, 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 um, and certainly if given the choice between writing um, New Haven and writing Ithaca, I, uh, uh, I would much prefer, you know, the, um, uh, you know, to me, Ithaca's exotic. You know, New Haven is something a little bit closer to what to what I'm used to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the book is dedicated to Harold Bloom, um, the renowned literary critic who passed away just a couple of years ago. And uh, you talk at the end that the, the novel was inspired by an anecdote that the actual Harold Bloom was a, a friend of yours and an admirer of yours um, described to you. Um, and, but you, uh, your character, your main, your main character's name or narrator's name is Blum, not, not Bloom. And he's not a, uh, you know, literary theorist and English uh, professor who could re- recite, you know, uh, reams of romantic poetry by, by memory. He's a uh, yeah, economic historian and studies uh, taxation and an Americanist. Um, so how did you? So how did you decide that to combine act, uh, real historical figures with fictional, fictional, fictionalized characters, and that this was the the story to tell? Right. I mean, I, I just I don't think that I could have written um, Harold Bloom. I think that I mean, first of all, there there you know there's the issue of having Benzio Netanyahu, who is already uh, severe and an enormous figure, right, on the page. And to put Harold there also, or a version of Harold, there would be no air in the room. And um, also writing Harold, it would seem, you know, that I would be making all of it up because he was so larger than life. He was, um, he was literally incredible. He, he did not, um, n- n- his talents were, were freakish in a way. And uh, his talents of recall, his memory, his associative capacities—you um, know—it—it it, it would. It, he truly was an instance of truth being stranger than fiction. And I—I—I I, 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 I wouldn't have, you know, sort of dared to put it on the page. That said, you know, there is, there are versions of 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 of, of Harold here. Um, you know, one of the things that I really thought about um, was his influence theory, right? The anxiety of influence, which is probably his, you know, let's say most, um, most famous uh, uh, idea about, you know, how does a writer find their voice? Um, A writer is always reacting, an artist is always reacting to influence to previous generations, but more specifically, to a misreading or misinterpretation of previous generations, um, whether a conscious misreading, you know, or an unconscious misreading. And, 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 
you know, uh, uh, the idea of, you know, a writer, a real writer's um, voice is born from that encounter. And, um, and that entire idea about the past and about um, what is owed and um, what is owed to influence, what is owed to tradition, I really wanted to bring into the book through uh, in some way. And I feel like I did that through the taxation studies, the idea of, you know, what, what do we owe? What is, uh-huh. what is owed? Um, uh-huh. That was my, that, that was, a, you know, a, a small amount of, 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 of tribute there. Mm-hmm. So Ruben Blom is not Harold Bloom, but um, you obviously are playing with a sort of, you know, metafictional line or something. And so you had, you know, you decided to name him Blom instead of Bloom. And he shares some aspects of the actual Harold Bloom's biography, at least in the biggest outlines of being born in the Bronx and being raised uh, in the sort of ultra-Orthodox um, family. And then no, he, wasn't, he wasn't raised. I mean, he was raised, you know, Yiddish-speaking, you know, uh, Odessan garment cutters. Okay. Well, but wasn't he... Oh, okay, well, you obviously knew him personally. Um, yeah. He... Um, but his first language was Yiddish. And sure. And was... I mean, he was... The way I've heard him... I, I remember him saying at some point or being quoted as saying that, you know, he was expected to like become a grand rabbi someday. And he ha- he, must, he thought he must've had like a great rabbi in his lineage that that's how he, he, he was able yeah, to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just, I just, he's masked, you know, these huge fortunes of, of English literature because like the Hebrew memorization was like part of right, studying the Talmud right. or something. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I was just, I was just pushing back against the, 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 the ultra Orthodox thing. I mean, I think okay. that, that, you know, he was raised, I think, traditionally. I mean, you know, the, the idea that these distinctions, these current distinctions that we use, which in Israel are political distinctions, and here are, I don't even know what kind of distinctions they are anymore in America, uh, 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 to denominate um, observance, um, uh, you know, I, they, 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 they didn't apply, or they, 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 they applied very differently, um, I think, in Harold's, uh, uh, in Harold's milieu. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but why did you, so you could have, um, you know, not named your character Blum. Um, so you're playing with us in some yeah. respects. Can you t- talk about why, um, why you kept certain aspects of the biography or the personality, but changed others? Yeah. Cause it's, I, I don't, you know, it's fun. It's amazing how much uh, to me it's, it, I, I, you know, how, how put off people are by it or how people seem it's, something new or it's somehow um invasive or it's somehow uh uh unfair right to 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 make an incursion upon the quote-unquote historical record with a bit of imagination i mean you know to me these are very basic you know the the the, the, the very it's a very basic technique i mean i and, and the answer is is because you know the world as it is is never the world that you want it to be so, uh, so you end up writing books to, to, to change that because it's the only way in which that can happen, right? I mean, they, or, or at least when you, you know, you become as, um, depressed and, uh, 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 and apathetic in, 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 in your ability to change the real world as, you know, or the physical world as, as I have, uh, 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 I think that, you know, it, there's a recanalization of the energy into the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, 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 the flow between um, what is real and what is imagined um, is so um, 
unimpeded is so natural in other parts of, 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 of our lives today. And yet when it comes to books where actually that should be something deeply native to the form, people pause for a moment and say, wow, that's strange. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't have as much of a problem with, with, with the, the real and the fictional interpenetrating in their politics you know, or on their TV, you know, that they take that for granted. That's par for the course that, that, that we're, we're, you know, we're used to seeing that, but, but seeing that in a book makes people say the author is really playing with things here. For those just joining us, this is an August, 2021 interview with Jewish American novelist, Joshua Cohen about his now 2022 winner of the Pulitzer prize for fiction, the Nate Yahoo's to listen to this entire interview. Please visit us on Facebook at forward slash Lou reads FM. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, it, it seems to me that, yeah, fiction and dream world and reality and reality television, which is, you know, we all know is not reality, have, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all merged in more, more ways than perhaps they did in the past, the past couple of years. But, um, okay. So if you had told me, if this, if someone had handed me this book and said, you know, we, we opened up the uh, Philip Roth archive and we found a draft of this book in here, and this was, this was the one he, you know, never published or something. I think I would have maybe bought it. There, so I see, and you also, and you reviewed the Blake Bailey um, biography mm-hmm. of Roth before the sexual assault allegations came out, and you did it in Roth's voice, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. Um, and this, so this novel remind me of Operation Shylock and some of other some of Roth's other work, where he is playing with, yeah, playing with metafiction and. Mm-hmm real life and not real life. Um, and then the other writer, this somewhat reminded me of, or another sort of uh, ghost I felt haunting the book was Nabokov. And maybe that's because of the mm-hmm. Ithaca stuff. And you have some like uh, supposed real texts in here that are re- printed verbatim, but um, like a letter that someone that an academic sends uh, mm-hmm. saying that uh, Benzio Netanyahu should not be hired because he's a horrible person. Um, right. And, could you talk about, yeah, so we're talking about anxiety of influence. Uh, did any, am I correct in seeing these traces of these two other uh, previous writers here? You know, I, I, I stole this book from Roth's archive. I broke in, <laughs> and, you know, there was just, they were like, just don't touch anything in that pile. And I shoved it in my bag. Uh, sure. I mean, I, I purposely, I think I, 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 I overlarded this book with, with, with references and allusions and, 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 um, tags and colors here and there, you know, from Roth, uh, 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 from, you know, to a lesser degree, you know, Bello and Malamud, but the kind of post-war, now we can look back golden age of Jewish writing, like this was obviously in attempts to kind of do a, um, you know, to make some sort of, as they, you know, a Timis out of them, right? Like, to make a, a kind of, a, you know... You want to, to make, find Simis for um, viewers and listeners you, who are you eat to, It's what you eat so you can go to the bathroom. Uh, it's like a... It's a, a, a stew of, 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 of um, like, uh, stewed fruits. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a mess. But, um, but the idea was to kind of put into this one pot, you know, all of these sort of elements from sort of the heyday of Jewish-American culture... Uh, along with, frankly, uh, uh, and sure, there's some Panin in there. And I mean, that's kind of unavoidable when, when we're doing Ithaca. But really what I was thinking about was the kind of, you know, what, what we can look back on now is a certain golden age of Jewish writing. Mm-hmm. But really about a, a certain kind of golden age of, 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 of Jewish assimilation into 
uh, American popular culture. And so I was thinking uh, a lot about, um, you know, the nascent sitcom and, uh, 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 and, and the, the sort of early uh, uh, teleplays and sitcoms that, that were, you know, largely written by Jews. Um, and, you know, what were those forms? How could I incorporate sort of those, that, those rhythms and those forms into my book? You know, I, I, I was thinking all the time of, um, you know, sitcom houses, right, are very, um, they're very Jewish houses because everyone's always barging in through a door, you know, <laughs> and like you know, there's, there's, there's no privacy. Like everyone is always kind of screaming at each other, you know, like they, 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 they only have, you know, kind of two modes. It's the loud and the louder. Um, and, but, but really it's that sense of um, you live with, you know, your family, right. Or with uh, uh, friends who are your family who can open the door at any time, who can surprise you in the bathroom, who can surprise you in your bed, who are who are enmeshed in every aspect of your life and know every piece of your business. Um, you know, I think it was the, the aesthetics of 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 the sitcom and of the teleplay, let's say for you know that that I I you know should be the sitcom before it was called the sitcom that I that I um that I was thinking of and mm-hmm. and 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 essentially to make a book then that was made of these forms you know that was made of these that was made out of these um I think you know Jewish signifiers that's uh, that's interesting that I mean I um saying that clarifies certain scenes and there are especially when the kids when the Netanyahu family and the crazy children come in it it, it, it enters sort of a madcap um well, I mean yeah I, I also and I should say something about Jewish forms too because you know because it, that sounds it sounds good but what does it mean right and 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 um I I think there's this you know there's an idea through Yiddish literature that you know that it wasn't possible to truly write a Jewish national epic, right? In the same way that um, that 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 you know, to read Tolstoy is to understand Russia, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, uh, Victor Hugo, you will understand France, right? And there, there, there's the German idea of uh, the 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 national poet, the Nationaldichter, right? Who who you know, Goethe is the soul of Germany, right? And so, you know, what are these, you know, what is the Jewish equivalent of a national epic or a national poet or national writer? And um, because dealing with Jews, Jews living in, in many different lands, also writing in many different languages, including different Jewish languages, and um, and not necessarily ever having a, 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 a representative epic outside of, I don't know, Torah. Right. Yeah, that For was. Example. I mean, yeah, the epic of exactly. But 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 no one that is, let's say, produced by man, right? And um and so there is this interesting aversion to epic forms, um in 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 a lot of Yiddish writing, and the form that seems to be the most, let's say, nationally representative. Um, uh, especially in the Yiddish, you know, in, 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 let's say the heyday of Yiddish literature, um, is the anecdote, right? It's, it's the, the anecdote really being the, the, the documentation of the folktale, the writing down of the humorous story. Um, you know, this is where I think Yiddish literature reached its perfect form, something like Shalom Alechem, 
for example, right? Uh-huh. I mean, this is not a controversial opinion to say Shalom Alechem is, you know, is, 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 is a kind of uh, uh, highlight of Yiddish literature. But I do think that, that when you ask what are those stories, what are Peretz's stories, for example, uh, this idea of the anecdote where um, something that is oral or something that was transmitted orally is written down, it almost has the same structure as a joke where um, a situation is prolonged, prolonged, prolonged till a single climax, right? Or, mm-hmm. or a punchline. Um, and that was a, a you know, a, a very kind of specific form that I was thinking of and wanted to, and wanted to, 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 to incorporate also in the book. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's, um, you know, there are elements of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned assimilation and that that's one of the major themes. And I guess part of the, and one of the ways this sort of reminded me of Roth was you have sort of characters who are not representative, but they are coming from opposing perspectives and there's a clash and you don't, I don't often in Roth, there wouldn't necessarily be a, uh, you know, sort of moral wrapping up of whose perspective was correct or something, but the, you know, the characters are um, coming against uh, up against each other and both like sort of giving the best case for what they think. And so, um, can you talk about, you know, um, that the historical Netanyahu's, uh, the father's uh, research into the medieval Spain and uh, Portugal and the uh, conversos and, and all this other stuff and why, you know, why and versus the assimilationism of mid-century American Jews and, you know, how, how did you... It's. I mean, it's a very interesting theme, and obviously something that Jews continue to um, argue about today. Uh, can you talk more about how you brought that sure, in? I mean, I think. I mean, the primary, the primary, um, let's say, antagonism or, or or debate in the book is between, um, you know, an assimilationist but liberal humanist, let's say, uh, idea, um, and uh, and Benzio Netanyahu's, which is a hard line identarian idea right um you know it, it, to my mind it's always ironic that a lot of the you know things that Benzio Netanyahu said and this man pretty far on the right almost as far on the right as you can get at some points in his life you know espoused um, um certain identity-based ideas that that I wanted to show uh, uh that today were reflected in the left mm-hmm. um but uh uh no this was Benzio Netanyahu was a person who believed that uh in the Amalekite idea of, of Jewish history, that um, that the Jews were never safe and never would be safe unless they had their own country with their own um, ability to defend themselves. Um, he, he mistrusted. Through a study of history, what he learned was that uh, history was a, uh, um, a cycle of repressions, uh, 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 murders, um, betrayals, pogroms, um, he did not think that there was a, a room for Jewish life in a diaspora. Uh, and then once the state of Israel was founded, it, it, it sort of, um, you know, the state of Israel almost obviated the need for any other countries because, because all Jews should make Aliyah. And, 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 and this for him was a political, um, let's say, replacement for, um, for Messianism, right? Like Israel was the, um, was the translation into political terms of the Jewish messianic ideal. Uh, and Reuben Blum's a liberal, you know, which I mean, you know, in certain circles can be seen as a, a dirty word these days and certainly has taken its own kind of Clintonian hits 
uh, but but what I mean by that is, you know, he he sort of takes all comers, and um, he also expects from his guests, you know, from his guests who become his really antagonists, you know, that they will play fair in a way. So he has that also naivete of the liberal that we're all rational actors um, attempting to broker compromise to the benefit of all. And Benzio Netanyahu comes in this house and, you know, can we eat your food? Sure. Can we drink your drinks? Sure. Can, can, you know, your daughter babysit, you know, my, my sons? Sure. Can uh, um, my wife borrow your wife's clothes? Sure. And it's this liberal thing of, of, giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and never knowing where to stop um, or being anxious to the point of stasis about where to draw your own hard line. Because at that moment, you know, liberalism takes on a different face. And, um, and so I, uh, I wanted to show truly that conflict. Um, uh, uh, the liberal humanist um, meeting the, 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 the um the right wing ideologue and um and trying to understand each critiques of the other so one of the as you present sorry, sorry, and in that and in that sorry and say one of the things and in that way and in that way um you know Benzion's true his scholarship because you were mentioning medieval Iberia and, and the Inquisition that all, you know, in, in that conflict in the book, I think that, you know, Ben, Benzion's scholarly interest in, in, in the 15th century and the Inquisitions um, really is revealed as, as um, not necessarily a, 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 a responsible career in history, but as an attempt to marshal evidence for um, a, G, a justification of, um, of Jewish autonomy in Israel. Mm-hmm. Saying, you know, I've done the research of what our history is in exile, um, what our history is in in, in Galut. Um, here is uh, 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 here is the case stated. And a lot of ways, I think his career was um, an attempt to piece together a um, um, an intellectual history uh, uh, that can also serve as a justificatory framework um, for the modern state of Israel. So, a- as you present his research it's sort of like um a rebuttal of assimilationism because in medieval iberia there were a number of jews who converted to catholicism and they i guess were and please again correct me if i'm getting any of this wrong um so they were sort of called the conversos but then uh, generation to generation they essentially uh, seemingly were just regular catholics uh within society and then the Inquisition was uh, a way to uh, sort of, you know, peel back the layers of assimilation and say, oh, these people, they were just Jews all along, even if their great grandparents were the ones who converted and they had lived as Roman Catholics, um, you know, for, for generations. And so yes. yeah. assim- assimilationism is, is ultimately always going to fail because uh, to the non-Jew, like the Jew is always the Jew. Is this an accurate summary? I mean, it's accurate for our purposes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I look, I look at it a little bit differently. Um, I don't. 
I mean, it's interesting to look at it through the assimilationist lens, which is, I guess, isn't interesting, uh, which is the, the the lens that an American, you know, that that American jury, I guess, would would be most comfortable looking at this, like looking at at, at his ideas through. Um, I see it more as a, um, and I believe Benzino did as well himself. Uh, 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 his research was was playing with the moment um, that truly racialized Judaism. Um, so the idea is, oh, you know, you are you you know you're a converso, or you know you, you're you're a Catholic, you're second generation Catholic, you're third, you know, right, you're third generation Catholic, and maybe you married other Jews who have converted to Catholicism, right, but. Um, here's news for you. Um, what you were was not a faith. What you were was a race. And um, and the blood is the thing that damns you. And it was, in a sense, the racialization of, 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 of Jewry or the acknowledgement of the racialization of Judaism or the entrenchment of the racialization of you know, Judaism as a criteria uh, that is interesting, you know, that, that, that is in some way uh, 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 useful to um, non-Jews, right? Uh, that draws the line uh, in Benzio Netanyahu's work between the 15th century and the Nuremberg Laws, right? This idea that, you know, there was a certain quantum of blood that, you know, would taint you. Um, and and I, I was particularly interested in... in in the racialization argument. I mean, certainly there's an enormous part of um, the book. Uh, you know, I, I, I also enjoy when people point out anachronisms in the book that, you know, they wouldn't have had an argument like that about woke culture in 1960. And I was, yes, no, thank you. I appreciate it. I, <laughs> where, uh, I was interested in kind of digging into um, that element of it, the racialization element, um, the, the, the tension between the people, uh, and the religion. For those just joining us, this is an August 2021 interview with Jewish American novelist Joshua Cohen about his now 2022 winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, The Nate Yahoos. To listen to this entire interview, please visit us on Facebook at forward slash Lou Reads FM. Um, and so, uh, a character I don't think we've mentioned we'll yet is uh, uh, Ruben's daughter Judith, um, who I guess is sort of a, an American, um, you know. An American Jew wants to maybe assimilate more, and and what she wants to do is uh, get a nose job, um, and various like uh, comic scenes or slash tragic scenes um, go on from from that. But um, you know, it is I guess so. That is the I don't know more contemporary version. And and did did Brenda Potemkin in um, Go Back Columbus? Did she have a nose job? I can't remember. Yes, I believe she did. I think she did. Okay, so it, there's sort so this is a theme. The Jewish woman wanting to get a nose job is a theme of American Jewish literature for a while. Um, sure, and and that and that's why I mean, the, and I don't want to give it away, but I mean, being very aware that I was, you know, being very aware that I was indulging a cliche, I wanted to I wanted to do it in a very specific way, and so I think her nose job is not her her nose job is certainly not a Rothian nose job. No, although well, I well, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, the, yeah, the way the nose the, this plot line plays out it was surprising and uh entertaining um debate about assimilation you know continues to this day it's maybe today in america it's more about intermarriage um and and then in i guess in israel you know this is 
you know, the, the, I guess maybe for an earlier generation, the idea was that, well, you know, this is the place where you don't have to assimilate because this is the Jewish state. And, um, no, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that there was an enormous assimilation, you know, there, there still is an enormous assimilation, this impulse in, in Israel. But I mean, that was the foundation of the Zionist project. It was turning, you know, city dwellers whose jobs were essentially to be merchants um, and, 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 and to work in, in, um, in, in commerce or something, you know, something mercantile to turn them into farmers, to turn them into people of the land. I mean, to, 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 um, that was, in fact, you know, if you, if you broaden your idea of what assimilationist means, it is, you know, it's to create a new active physical, uh, uh, Jew, a dangerous Jew as well. And, and so, you know, it, though it wasn't the assimilation that we're thinking about, um, which is to mm-hmm. a, you know, a dominant culture, which is something that came into Jewish life through, um, you know, living under, the Greeks living under the Romans, living, you know, the, 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 the idea that, you know, one can't lose oneself in, in this, in this host culture. Right. Um, I, 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 I certainly understand the differences between that and the self-willed project of, um, of, 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 of recreation of self-recreation, you know, with, um, with, 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 with the early Zionist movements, but at the same time, you know, that, that, that it, there, there are similar desires at work. There are similar energies at work. I mean, that, that's kind of what I was, I think I got at that in the book, or I tried to get at that in the book where I said, you know, no matter where you were um, at this time, um, if you were a Jew, you were in the process, you were in the process of becoming someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. That I, that's very well said. Um, and so <laughs> transition to another idea that's in the novel Um uh, is, is the idea of revisionist Zionism. And so the actual Netanyahu was the, well, what, what, what was his relation to this figure, Zeb Jabotinsky? He was the secretary? I keep on, yeah, I don't know. I keep on seeing the secretary almost like because of the, you know, like he's typing or something or answering phones. Uh, I don't, <laughs> he, after he was unable to, to secure a position at Hebrew University, he became a, a representative of Jabotinsky's um, New Zionist organization in um, in in New York, and 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 essentially he edited or wrote for like he did you know he wrote for a number of revisionist periodicals uh, in 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 pre state. You know. Can you so I think so I did it I did an episode a couple months ago about um, sort of millennial Judaism and I talked about how I felt my education and Judaism my Hebrew school education was sort of like deficient in a number of ways. And they don't really teach us about the things that are like actually happening. They give us sort of the mythologized version. So revisionist uh, Zionism, I'm sort of still, you know, I I don't know all all these, um, the the different forces and different versions of Zionism that were contending with each other before the founding of, of Israel. So can you talk a little bit more about that? And I'm sure many in the audience are also not sure what revisionist Zionism is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope by this point in the discussion we have an audience, but let's do it, man. Yeah, um, I mean, it's possible that there's still a couple of non-Jews listening to this, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but even like I said, you know, the, yeah. uh, the, the like I said, the the version of the founding of the state of Israel that I was taught as a 11 year old was not the one that was talking about the contending you know forces of um, you know stra- different strains within the diaspora like debate yeah. about Zionism. I mean, I, I think. The revisionist Zionist movement is um, 
I think probably best encapsulated by the idea that that you know Jewish self determination comes from um, uh, uh, um, Jewish action, and that unlike the liberal labor Zionists or the socialist labor Zionists, however you want to kind of um, define what was at the time a number of different blocks, there were an there was a dominant cohort that saw that the only way toward Jewish autonomy was to um, get Britain behind it, to uh, certainly to get America approval, American approval. And the revisionist Zionists didn't think that the, the, the Jews should wait for the great powers of the world to grant them a country. They thought that they should go and take it. And, and that's the difference. The difference is, is, is um, uh, uh, Jews who saw a way through statecraft um, to the creation of uh, 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 the Jewish state and, and Jews who, who would deal with the statecraft later. But for them, it was, um, it was a matter of, uh, of, of self-activated, let's say, uh, uh, autonomy. And um, I want to say also the revisionist Zionism was deeply bound up with the Holocaust because the, the reason why Jews needed to get a state now and couldn't didn't have to wait around for 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 Britain to say, okay, you can have one now, or for you know, or 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 for the Americans to agree with the British, okay, you know, give them one, was because of the you know imminent emergency of of European Jewry, and um, it was Jabotinsky who would travel throughout Europe in the eve of the Holocaust in the late thirties, who would warn that unless there was this free Jewish emigration to Palestine, all of these people would die. And um, he turned out, of course, to have been correct. And, um, and he viewed the Zionists, uh, the, of, again, many other blocks, but the non-revisionist Zionists, right, who were people who were very much more in favor of negotiation, you know, um, he viewed them, I think, as accommodationists and as with, with some blood on their hands. That said, there were certainly people farther to the right than Jabotinsky. There was, you know, the Stern Gang, for example. Um, you know, people who were truly engaged in, um, in daily uh, regular terrorist activities um, um, in order to secure, a, you know, a, a, a Jewish state. And Jabotinsky, you know, I shared their um, urgency, but not their methods. Okay, so maybe the 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 one strain of Zionism, which perhaps was the, the dominant one, was more um, sort of a. Well, the entire... strain was the dominant one. I mean, revisionist Zionism was was essentially banished from the state. I mean, uh, uh, Jabotinsky was made persona non grata in mandatory Palestine, and his he was not allowed back into the country by the British. Um, and uh, when he died uh, uh, in upstate New York, at a, you know, at Beitar training camp, basically, uh, at a heart attack, you know, he, he was buried in Long Island and he was not, his body was not allowed to be brought back to, uh, 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 to the Jewish state. Um, it, it really, it, you know, the revisionists were out of favor and were seen as um, troublemakers at, 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 at best and, and terrorists at worst. By, by many in Israel, uh, uh, you only see their influence coming back, you know, really 
uh, the time of Begin and later, and uh, 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 and Shamir and um, uh, and Bibi represents, without a doubt, the sort of return of the repressed. Um, <laughs> um, um, he was the the ultimate triumph of the revisionist um, ideology. Okay, so we can say the revisionist ideology was the like intellectual like grandfather of the um, Likud uh, politics that Netanyahu uh, practiced. Yeah, of, of, of Bibiism, which is, you know, which is this idea that, um, you know, if revisionist Zionism said, we need this country because the Jews are dying, or they will die because this is an existential threat. It's a kind of a clear and present danger in that way. You know, Bibi's version of it is, is, you know, the existential threat is constant. The, the threat of, of, of imminent death surrounds us and only I can save you. Right. And so, and in some, well, tell me if this is, sounds right or wrong to you. In some ways, the division also is sort of the polite Jew versus the rude Jew. And, um, and the, you know, the insider game of, of trying to get a Jewish state, like through the British, you know, like British man, the mandate, or maybe uh, that's probably not the right word because there was a British mandate, but you know, the, the uh, British foreign secretary declaring, okay, this is, this is now the land for the Jews versus a sort of direct action, violent, uh, possibly terroristic or definitely terroristic um, sort of outside game of, yeah, using, using violence um, mm-hmm. to, to do it. And then, you know, uh, uh, or Ruben Blum certainly seems like a polite person who's trying to, um, you know, uh, treat everyone nicely. And the uh, Netanyahu's, or as you easily term them, the Yahoo's, um, this family of sort of, uh, you know, crazy, uh, I don't know, uh, the Knicks or something. Um, you know, they're just going nuts and sort of tearing it up. And yeah, so it's, it's an interesting clash. I, so I feel like I'm going into somewhat of a disservice in novel by not emphasizing that it is very funny in, in, in various places and it is not, it's, it's some way a novel of ideas, but um, there's comic parts that, that remind me of Roth once again. And it's not, you know, it's not about uh, primarily, you know, debates in 1920 uh, Europe. Um, it is about these characters who are uh, smashing up against each other. Um, so I do, I do want to say that. And so just, let's talk just a little bit more about the children and how you decided to portray them. And uh, they are like 13, 10, and 7 or something, the three Netanyahu boys who run riot over the uh, pleasant household of um, the, the Blum family. And I think, I mean, I, I, I think you have the, the first line that young BB says. I think he says, uh, we're not idiots. Um, when the, the parents are trying to spell out the word cookie or something, uh, you know, uh, because they think maybe they don't understand. And mm-hmm. you have a lot of, um, I don't know, body humor <laughs> involved in this. So how did you, it, was this, is this a, an accurate representation of what, of what the young Netanyahu boys were like? Or how did you decide to portray these characters this way? How do I know what the young Netanyahu boys were like? <laughs> um, no, I think it comes from watching a lot of Three Stooges. <laughs> Frankly, you know, there's something about that, that, that trio that's so... I don't know. That's so deep in, 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 in comedy, at least a comedy that I, 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 I remember watching on like late night TV when they kind of didn't know what to put on. And so you would see like the many generations of the Stooges. You'd be like, Oh, that's not the same 
those aren't the same stooges. Uh, uh, and, right, there were Shemp um, and other ones that sort of faded away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about the dynamics. I mean, I have a brother. You know, three boys in a house is uh, uh, it's a lot of boy. And um, and especially, you know, in that, that, that age range. And um, no, I wanted to, to, to just have this sense of um, shamelessness, I think. It's one thing that I always, you know, um, my brother has, 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 has children and, um, you know, and so I'm, I'm their uncle. And I, I always remember, you know, when, when someone would, um, when someone would call, uh, uh, you know, our, our, our former president who, you know, um, I, I like talking about him as if he's dead, our former president, um, uh, uh, um, you know, when someone would say that he was shameless, Right. Or or acted like a child. I, I, you know, I would always think of of, you know, of my nephew because it's that it's that same sort of I'm just going to say anything that pops into my head and I'm going to do anything I want to, 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 to do. And then when I'm called out about it, I'm just going to lie and I'm going to lie and lie and lie and lie. And it's that it's that behavior. It's um, can I have a cookie? No then they take the cookie and like break everything while they, you know, go and get it themselves. And did you take a cookie? Did you re- no, you know, and it's, it's that shamelessness of, of childhood that doesn't um, in some way ever um, recede and finds its way into adulthood with far more dangerous consequences than, than, than cookie filching. And so um, I wanted to kind of show uh, you know, childhood tyranny and shamelessness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shamelessness is, is definitely a, um, I think Ezra Klein clipped at one point that Trump's superpower was shamelessness, whereas there, there are just norms that other national figures wouldn't break. But it's like, it's the, it's the, it's the, it, the, the superpower of every child is shamelessness. And, and, and in a way with the child, you know, you're not really sure where that, you know, the lies that come with that, the, the, the shameless lies or the shameless um, uh, uh, tantrums, you know, uh, uh, how much they are controllable, right? Or, 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 you know, or, or what is the best way in which you could teach a child to put them under control, to, to, to get control of them? Yeah, I mean, the, um, you know, uh, cruelty for its own sake is... I, you know, and um, Adam Serwer uh, recently published an edited collection titled uh, "The Cruelty Is the Point" or "What's the Point?" Um, mm-hmm. And that I think that was a phrase he came up with that resonated with a lot of people about the Trump era. Um, let me see. Oh, so there's one character we haven't discussed that much, and that is um, uh, Sila. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, uh, Benzion Netanyahu's wife, who I knew uh, practically nothing about um, as a real historical figure. Um, and how did you? Yeah, how did you envision her and 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 her role, especially and her relation to Edith? Is that right? Um, who is mm-hmm. Ruben's yeah. wife? Um, I think you know Tila is you know Tila. I mean, she's the only person who can tame Benzil Netanyahu, right? I mean, that's that's, a, and she wants to talk about um, a different view, let's say, of 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 Israel or of 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 the land, right? He she's married to a man who, who, who lives in sort of a metaphor become, become real, a dream become real. 
right? Uh, the idea of, uh, of a return to Zion and suddenly it is now something that is real and around us and has uh, uh, an army and essential services and schools. And, and her, uh, 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 her existence is saying, great, I'm glad the, 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 the dream has been achieved. Um, what about air conditioning and disposable diapers? You know, um, and this idea of kind of wanting progress, wanting um, bounty, wanting this American um, um, 50s uh, uh, and early 60s kind of consumer ideal. Um, and I think Edith is, is sort of the opposite, you know, because Edith, of course, is, is born in the middle of it, um, you know, American. Um, I think that she is, you know, a frustrated um, librarian, a frustrated books person, and 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 maybe even more than her husband um, wants to um, retreat from ideological certainty. And I, I think I just I think of her as just someone who wants to be left alone so she can read. Mm-hmm. And I feel very kind of close to her because of that. You know, it's like when everyone else is fighting and doing, you have the idea that, you know, she just kind of wants to go into a corner and just whatever mothers do in dark corners. I assume you <laughs> Um, yeah, what I mean, so I, a minor part of the novel that I enjoyed a lot was sort of the interactions between Ruben and Edith when all the crisis is happening around them. And it seemed to me like this is a betrayal of a good marriage. And, and even though this crazy thing's happening and everyone is stressed out and she's really mad at him for inviting these nutsos into the house. Um, but it seemed like they were like, okay, we're, you know, we're gonna, we're not happy. I'm not happy with this, but we're gonna get somehow get through this together. And that, you know, that struck me. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think that they, that also what, what binds them almost perversely is a, is a kind of inability to, to communicate with their daughter. I think that they were very much like a couple who, because of the gulf between themselves and their daughter have been brought closer together, which I, I also think is an odd type of intimacy. So, so I appreciate the book and I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything, I feel like we've gone on for a while. Is there anything else you want to, no, this, hey, is, we... this has been fun. This is this has been nice. That's it for this episode of Louisville Reads. Next episode, we'll review the 2022 Pulitzer Prize for Nonfiction, Visible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City by New York Times journalist Andrea Elliott. This is Louisville Reads. I'm Dave Campbell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>